calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Everything woke turns to shit. Well, my name is Tim. Most people call me... Jim. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Done Right Podcast. It seems as if it was just yesterday the arrest and trial of notorious pedophile Jeffrey Epstein began. This vile man victimized hundreds of thousands of young women. I thought at the time pretty much everyone was on the same page in the United States about child predators. We need to take the biggest precautions when protecting our children from evil predators like these. COVID locked down our country and parents were able to get a sneak peek into the children's classrooms for the first time. Not only were they having radical critical race theory shoved down their throats, but some other disturbing incidents came to light. The left made it apparently clear they would protect those hiding behind the guise of the LBGTQ community. Last year, a young woman was sexually assaulted in the classroom of her own school. Her attacker was hiding behind the guise of transgenderism and was set free. The victim's father was even arrested for confronting the school about the incident and then labeled a domestic terrorist for showing up to the school board meeting to complain. Her attacker was then allowed back into the same school to rape yet another student within weeks of the first incident. The left and the school board violently denied these claims, despite the evidence that was put before them, and it ended up leading to the upset victory of Glenn Young Kim as governor of Virginia. It looks like liberals still haven't learned their lesson. Many school boards and school districts are pushing a radical gender identity on students as young as kindergarten and first grade. Many opposers point out how this opens up students to the possibility of grooming for sexual offenders, just like Ghislaine and Epstein did to those young girls. But what is grooming? What does it look like? And how can we better protect our children from it? And today we have a special guest with us to talk about this issue, Kaylee Kozik, a victim's advocate, mother, and author of Kaylee's Law. Kaylee, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. So, Kaylee, uh, first of all, what is grooming? Like, what does it look like? Kind of break it down for us. Obviously, it's been the hot buzzword that we've heard in the media lately about grooming and uh, what's going on with the the don't say gay bill. Um, What's it look like for us? So honestly, grooming has been around for so long. It just picked up the the phrase of it of being groomed fairly recently. I mean, even when I turned my abuser in, um, I did not realize that I was being groomed. My entire family was groomed. Our community was groomed. And it just wasn't a term then. And now we've put a term to it. And it's a real thing that's happening. Um, And not even just with sexual abuse. It's happening with all this trans stuff. Like, Grooming is, there's steps in it, but it's when a predator preys on a victim and coerces them to go along with things to make them feel natural and normal. It's conditioning. And and what better minds to try to manipulate than a child's or a vulnerable person? And that, I mean, that's what grooming is. And there's steps and we can talk all through it, but grooming has been around for a long time. It's just picking up the term. It's just now getting hot. Yeah, it, it's 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 crazy to me. And, you know, obviously I was talking about in my monologue that it's like we just came off Epstein. We just came off of 
like uh, to catch a predator growing up it was like you know dateline nbc you know like it seemed like every single time you know let's protect our children i thought we were all on the same page about this uh kindergartners to third graders uh, i mean to be honest like less than fifth graders or, or even i don't even want a teacher talking to my high schoolers about um sexual stuff um why is this like why is why is this becoming such like a hot thing now and does this open the door for grooming for sexual predators in the schools absolutely so the first of all our society right now is there is no protect the children it's protect the predator and how can we help to protect them? We can normalize what they're doing. Look at how they, um, I, I believe it was Colorado, the map, minor attracted person. Like who, who comes up with this stuff? That's not okay. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? Like th there is no, a minor attracted person is a predator. That's a, who is likely to be a criminal. What? And so they're, they're finding all these ways to groom and normalize pedophiles and um it's it's our elite it's the it's the media it's this whole new thing that's happened embrace your sexuality what what three or five years i mean it always cracks me up when our kid i have five kids and when my three-year-old or whatever you know says i'm a girl i'm like i'm so glad that you know that like that a three-year-old knows that you're a girl um and you know, that they know the difference. It's so critical to use the appropriate words. Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. To use that, that's what makes us male and female and to, to use those words with our children. But what's happening is this group that's condoning and sympathizing with these male attracted people or minor attracted people, you know, whatever. They're They're trying to normalize this Trend, it's not even it's a it's a illness it's sick it's it's a i have so many words the goal is to to make it normal so it's more acceptable and it's not on any level so if we want to talk about the don't say gay bill which is the most ridiculous stupid bullshit like someone found that bill and turned it into something it's not but actually that's what most bills do people grab a little bit of it and they turn it into something it's not nowhere in that bill does it say anything about being gay first of all like let's just start with that second of all it's about it's a parental rights bill so let's give it the appropriate short title but the left or whoever the media I, I'd, I'd say more of the mainstream media than even you know aside turn it into something it's not found these people to create a hype and and make it into something it wasn't and it's just exploded yeah. And so when we were talking about grooming, obviously we, we kind of wanted to get into it. So like, what are some things that, you know, as a parent, uh, obviously this is something that needs to be more on our minds now, um, especially with, I kind of blame it on like when COVID happened and more parents were, were figuring out what was going on in their classrooms. A lot more of these teachers were just like, I've had it. I'm done. I quit. I'm out. Right. And we've been hurting for teachers for a really long time over the last couple of years. And that's kind of, this is the danger zone, right? Where almost anybody's being able, like, hey, you got a license and you got, you can pick up a ruler, you're going to be a teacher. And anybody's going in these classrooms. And because now we're going, we're moving our kids from back from in, you know, at home learning back into the classrooms. 
and we're no longer being able to see what's going on at all times in our classrooms. What are some things that not only we need to be on the, on the lookout for, so maybe some behavior or some things that our, our kids might be looking at, or even like um, some things that we should tell our children, like, hey, these are some lines that you probably shouldn't be crossing or, you know, or, or guided questions, I guess, for that. So I think one of the one of the things that happened, at least when I was growing up, was because people have asked me before, didn't you know what he was doing was wrong? Well, yeah, but he convinced me that it was different. It was okay. I was a woman trapped in a child's body. Um, you know, he really gained my parents' trust. Therefore, I trusted him more because my parents trusted him. And so I think before, you know, someone had said to me, didn't your parents tell you what good touch, bad touch was? Of course they did. Of course my parents mm -hmm. had that talk. But but we're taught, be afraid of the bad guys, you know, the crazy looking ones, the, the ones who come out of the bush when it should be anybody in your life makes you feel uncomfortable. If anybody tells you to keep a secret. Um, you know, I'm really, really big on um, intuition with my kids. If they have a feeling, listen to that intuition. Yes, sometimes they're going to be overreacting their children, but really tuning into that and figuring out why something bothers them. As far as not being in the classroom or hearing things like we were when our kids were on the computer, which mine weren't for very long. Um, I pulled my kids out to homeschool them because I wasn't playing the bullshit game. Uh, we traveled all over the United States and did the unschool thing. I don't want to do it anymore. Like <laughs> I did it when I had to and it worked. But you know, you listen to these teachers and things. So, and now they're back in the classroom. And, and, and in the last two years, it's like, we've dropped down to like the lowest kid in the class and our kids aren't even learning. And so we don't know what's going on, but then you see all these things across the nation, kids coming home with these books, um, you know, their curriculum, things that kids are questions they're asking. My teacher said, there was an issue in our district where um, a teacher had the LGBTQTABCDEFG, whatever I want to be, flag, you know, on their desk. And the kid went home and asked the dad. And the, he's like, why is, no, why is that in school? Like, there was this huge ordeal in our district. My kids aren't actually in the district, but the district that we live in. And, like, you know, you're, teaching your kids to pay attention to that kind of stuff. But I, I truly believe one of the biggest problems we have, and it has to do with grooming is we teach our kids to stay away from the bad guys. What's a bad guy, right? How, how do you define that with children? Um, you know, if anybody's touching you, telling you to do something, talking to you. And now it's like, we're at the point where we almost have to talk to our kids at a younger age about things like sex, because if we don't educate them, Someone else is going to start to do it. And then when they start to educate them, our little children's minds get going in the wrong direction. And then they think it's normal and it's not. And it's terrifying what's happening in classrooms. I mean, classrooms are for teaching. Like, and children from kindergarten to third, what, that, what was that bill? It was kindergarten to third grade, I believe, right? Banning it. Mm -hmm. There is no reason, not one even thin as paper reason that you should be talking about anything sexual, anything. And something else too, that goes like hand in hand with this is my husband and I've had these discussions, right? Like when we, when I grew up, maybe there was some kids that had gay parents. I, I did, if I, they did, I didn't really know. But now like with my kids, it's a thing, you know, oh, I don't have a dad. I have two moms or whatever. So like teaching our kids about that, but 
I didn't make that decision to have, you know, my kids have two moms and then my kids wonder why they don't have a dad. That's something you have to deal with. That doesn't mean you send your kids to school and teach them that my kids are judgmental or um, anti-gay, you know, because they don't understand. That's not the way God created us to be. And so it's okay for them to have questions. That doesn't make them bullying or a bad child. But we're having to like go in and have these conversations and like prep our kids on how to handle these things and what to look for. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, it seems like, you know, when I hear stories about this, it's never, uh, I mean, every once in a while, obviously, you know, what we hear as a kid, oh, if you see a white van coming down the street, guy offers you candy, don't go into the puppies, like you hear all that good stuff. Um, It it seems like almost like all that stuff's become outdated. Like that does, maybe it does probably happen, but probably not nearly as much as, um, you know, these kids being victimized by people that they trust. And when these teachers are in the classroom with their students for six hours a day, you know, or eight hours a day, or depending on how long they're in the school, um, you know, they're really bonding with those students. And so it's really putting a person of trust in that student or in that kid's life. That's really going to have an effect on them. And having these, I, I think the most disturbing part for me is like a lot of these people are, the, the braggadocious attitude, I guess, about it is like, you see, how many TikToks are you seeing being posted online of these teachers bragging about it? Like, I don't give a shit about your parental rights. I don't care about this. Da, da, da. I'm going to force my, my, my ideology on your child. Like, and you're seeing a lot. Uh, I think there was like a Texas, like coming out day, um, just recently. And it was like 25% of young kids were saying that they were, uh, LBGTQ, uh, like in elementary school. And you're like, there's absolutely no way that even 25% of them understand what's going on. Right. Um, they, they can't. And then we're hiding behind like, oh, okay, well, you know, if these kids aren't, um, you know, being able to express themselves or having high suicide rates, but you know, like a little bit of research that, that I've been doing into this is like, we want to talk about suicide rates. What about the suicide rates of, you know, these kids that are, get sexually assaulted, molested, by their teachers or by a person that, that, that trusts them and the mental effects that has on somebody, especially, you know, with a position of, thor- uh, of, of trust, right? Like a, yeah. a teacher, a coach, a, you know, a parent's friend, somebody on the PTA, like that not only screws up their worldview of, of everything, but like, who do they trust at that point? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody who's supposed to be in looking out for them is now becoming a predator. Um, yeah why, I mean, I think that's especially the reason why we need to be more careful about this with the teachers. But I mean, what's as a victim's advocate, is that, am I wrong by having this? Am I overdramatic or is this? No. Go ahead. No. So the grooming, the steps of grooming are victim selection, right? So even if we're not talking about just sexual abuse, let's talk about again, the LBGTQ, ABCD, whatever. Um, that is victim selection. Okay. Finding vulnerable, finding weak, finding, finding that, that little entryway, um, that you can, um, victim selection is the first and it, it's more applicable than just sexual abuse, um, gaining access and isolating. Okay. What, when you're in a classroom in a way you, you kind of can isolate, you know, cause there's not parents around and, and as parents, we're supposed to trust these teachers, but really we're giving them the ultimate opportunity to isolate our children and, and put whatever they want, you know, in their ears. And then, you know, the next step is, is gaining that trust and um, 
and, and paving that pathway for the child to think, oh, this person is someone I can trust. They, they're listening to me, uh, you know, just the trust. That's, that's the next step. Um, and then the one that we should, that in my opinion, is the most scary is the desens, de, how do you say it? Desensitize, desen, desensitization. Tongue twister that because that is what's happening with like this bill. Like we should not be talking about this with children. And when we are starting so young and we're making it seem like it's a normal thing to be talking about and doing, it is not. And so as we're doing that and talking about it at a younger age, these kids are hearing about it more. And then they're more curious. We can't, we cannot deny that once children hit puberty or whatever, you know, hormones rage, that is how God created us. We're supposed to be like that. But a three to five year old isn't thinking like that. And so by you putting it in their head, that's coming from an adult. That's not coming from the child. Um, and then, you know, the last, the last part of grooming is attempting the act and pushing boundaries and feeling out. And it starts, I think specifically with, with, uh, predators, um, and, and, um, you know, sexual abuse cases, sex offenders. They are so smart and they are the most patient human beings in the world. And there is not enough emphasis on that. They slowly work their way in, they groom, they do all those steps. You know, it's not uncommon for um, a sex offender or an abuser. They're either going to, you know, bring a victim up to their level or they're going to drop down to their age. So for example, if they're bringing a victim up, your child's stuck in a, an adult's body. You're so mature for your age. You look older than you are. Um, you know, if they're coming down, oh, I like playing video games too. I mean, you know, they, they find a way, whatever age appropriate. It's one of the two things. And so when you see an adult like overcompensating for one of those things, it should be very, you should be wondering what their intentions are. Why are they doing that? Absolutely. And I guess the follow-up question would be like, obviously you talked about the steps, but it doesn't necessarily need to be the same person committing every single one of these steps, right? Like as we put the TikTok and the Facebook and, you know, like all this stuff on um, the internet, I mean, if you were looking at Nickelodeon, Disney Channel, it just filled with more sexualized, more transgender and more of that stuff in there. That can take the place of the desensitization of this of the, of the child right and so mm -hmm. that would really only it really makes the job of the predator easier right where they're like they're already coming Absolutely. to the teacher with these questions about sexuality coming all you know and because for because they've built this trust reason and so now it's being able to exploit that a lot more right is is, is that yeah. basically true so like again it's not only necessarily just like creating that avenue with the teacher but it's all different mediums, right? Everywhere. It's, it's terrifying. And that's why I'm saying like, now we're at a place where we have to, we have to like prep our children, you know, to pay attention to these things. And it's how sad is it that we are at a place in our world, where as a parent, I have to um, like filter and, and oh my gosh, what's the word? Um, I have to like watch the Disney movie before my kids watch it, because I have to make sure that it's appropriate. That's where we're at. I mean, before you go to the movies with your kids for new, a new Disney movie and you wouldn't even think twice. I mean, I, I, I haven't watched turning red 
Um, I've read about it. Um, my husband and I say that we're going to watch it. Our kids haven't watched it. Um, but we did watch, um, the, uh, cheaper by the dozen on Disney. Have you heard about that one? The new one? Mm -mm. No. So, um, you know, it goes off of the traditional cheaper by the dozen, um, you know, movie, but it's about a blended family. Great. That's a great message blended, um, as in families and race. So it's got good things in it. Um, but then it starts with Black Lives Matter flags in the window. And, um, you know, it talks about how your white kids don't understand my black kid. And it's like, so then our kids are like, why? We teach our kids those things. They don't, they don't just, ha that doesn't just happen. And my husband and I were like, we have to turn this off. Like, we can't even watch this with our children because of all the mixed messages in it. And even the... It, it's worth a watch for a parent. I mean, I would definitely monitor it. That's the word monitor. Um, you know, before you turn these movies on, but yes, all these things are starting to happen. TikTok, the little itty bitty messages that are planting seeds in our children's ears that are making them think, Oh, this is normal. You know, this, that, and it's not, it's, it's so insane to me, the stuff that my six-year-old, seven-year-old, 12-year-old come home saying, or that they learn or see, I, it's, I just mind-boggling. I, I can't even believe it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and for me, it's just like, I, I don't know how we could have gotten to it because I, as a, you know, as a generation that grew up on like South Park and stuff like that, it was like, I remember like all the inappropriate stuff was late at night on a channel a thousand different child parental locks that you couldn't get through and whatever like that. And so it was a lot easier for a kid's, you know, just turn on the television, put on cartoons, Nickelodeon, parents never had to worry about it. Exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you're, you're just like the commercials on Disney channel and Nickelodeon now, like before even show even another st a show starts, you're getting the messaging in between a show that might not even have any messaging. So you might go, Oh, okay. It's okay to watch SpongeBob, but, Oh, great. Here's another commercial in between the shows or, you know, while the show's going on. Um, I kind of want to switch topics a little bit, give you a little bit more time to talk about Kaylee's Law, um, what it is, how it came through, and kind of like your story of like how it, it came through. So tell us a lot more about that. So I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Um, I was sexually abused my sixth and seventh grade year when I was 12 and 13. Um, and grooming had a lot to do with it. I did not realize that I was groomed. And like I said, it wasn't even a term then, but my freshman year, um, we were watching a video and it was literally talking about grooming and about how most victims know their perpetrator and, um, you know, how they, they manipulate and they make you feel comfortable. And, and I remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, like, I don't think he, but he loves me. He didn't mean to hurt me. And I was so confused and it, I didn't, I almost didn't want to believe that someone I thought, because I really did think that he, he made it so okay. He normalized it. Um, and as I'm working through my process and things, I'm realizing how seriously, how fucked up what he did was, it was sick. Um, and the efforts that it took and, and the little things like my parents really trusted him, the community, the soccer club. I mean, it, he was my soccer teacher or soccer coach and my PE teacher. And more people went to bat for him than me, even after hearing a phone call of him admitting to everything that he did. They still stood up for him because he would never. 
because that's what they do. They're, they're master manipulators. Um, they're charming. Those are the people that we need to be looking out for. And so, um, after I turned him in, um, in 2006, he was convicted in 2007. And, you know, I, I tell my husband and I, my mom kept this folder for me and I just kind of put the folder away and tucked it in the bottom drawer. And I never pulled it out and went on with my life. And, um, there was a lot of post-trauma that no one talks about that I'm really, really, um, big on bringing like, you know, the, the post post turning in your abuser because everyone's there for the initial trauma, but no one's there later. Um, and so I tucked it away for a really long time and I never really thought about it, um, or talked about it. It just was what it was. And fortunately I, I was able to overcome a lot. Um, I, you know, I'm very successful. I'm happy and healthy. I've been married for 10 years. I have five kids. I have a college degree, you know? Um, and so I'm, I'm really in a really good place, but in 2020, um, my mom called to let me know that the adult probation department was looking for me. And, and just to try to make you understand how out of touch I was with, with that, it could ever have anything to do with him. My first thought was, Oh my God, did I have jury duty and I missed it? Like never in a million. And that's how I know that sounds so ridiculous, but seriously, that's how, that's how much it was not on my radar. And she said, no, they're calling about him. And I said, what, why? So I ended up talking to probation the next day. And like, I was a coworker. Um, she said, Oh, we're calling. He's trying to have his lifetime probation lifted. He's been really good and completed his treatment. So we're going to, we're going to, um, um, concur with his, his motion. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And she starts talking about like, oh yeah, he wants to do all these things and he wants to be with his kids. And I, I literally said, stop talking. Like I am his victim. What are you even saying? And so I, um, at that point, I like, I had to like jump into, it was almost like survival mode again. It had been over 10 years since I, for, actually 14, since I had heard anything. And um, I was really to say that that shook my world and rocked it is an understatement. I, I was in a really dark place. Um, I, I was basically, you know, re-traumatized and then having to try to put all the pieces together, right? Like digging through that drawer and finding that file and, and trying to understand what was actually happening. And wait a second, he asked for lifetime probation. He asked because he didn't want to go to prison. So in lieu of 25 years in prison, he asked for two terms of lifetime probation because he did accept a plea deal because my parents did not want to go to court. They didn't want to put me through a trial. Um, and so he asked for that. And I'm like, how can he get off light? He has two terms of lifetime probation. And so I went through the motions of, uh, you know, I'm going to go to court because I could go and testify or I'm, I'm not going to go. Like he doesn't get any more of my life, but I need to stand up for myself. And it was so draining. I just can't even tell you how draining it was. But then I did, I said, okay, what if his probation goes away? What do I have for protection? Nothing. What? What do you mean I don't have anything? Well, you, a victim's protection falls within the terms of a perpetrator's probation. Okay, well, he agreed to lifetime. So I was supposed to have that protection for lifetime. But now you guys are telling me because he's been good, he can get off lifetime. And then I don't have protection? Yep. I was, I, I just, I couldn't even, I said, that's bullshit. I mean, literally that was, it's bullshit. And I said, so let me get this straight. I have to go back and face the man who abused me to ask for protection. Yeah. 
Can I get a restraining order? No, you're not in current danger. So you're just going to let this guy off and then he can just message me on social media, show up at my front door. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. So I ended up going to court um, and testifying against him. And I had even said, you know what? I don't even care if all his other probation terms go away. What I care about is this is my only means of protection. And once his probation is gone, so is my protection. And you could just hear keyboards going in the courtroom. And I was bombarded after I testified because they're like, oh my gosh, there is no such thing as continued protection. Once their probation is gone, victims aren't protected. Oh my gosh, you're not eligible for a restraining order. Like it was, it was, the judge was just as shocked as I was because what's happened is lifetime used to mean lifetime. Now we have criminal justice reform and these poor guys, they made a mistake. No, they didn't make a mistake. They made a fucking choice. That's what they made. And you feel sorry for them and they have found God and turned their life around. So you're just going to let them off their lifetime because why not? They completed their treatment. And so lifetime actually is seven to 14 years in most states. It is not lifetime. So then when I found that out, I thought, oh my God, you're misleading victims. You're misleading families. Like they're walking away from the most traumatic time in their life thinking that they have a lifetime. They don't have a lifetime. It's a joke. But they're more concerned about the perpetrators being affected than they are the victims. So I said, this is bullshit. This has to change. And someone's like, you should write a law and call it Kaylee's law. And I remember that day feeling like, oh, I'm going to. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to. So um, that was in February of 2020. The week after that, I had emailed my local senator and then COVID happened and nothing else in the world mattered. And I think, you know, when it first happened, everyone was, nobody knew what was going on. So I let time go by and then the summer came and then we were traveling and nobody cares. Like nobody cares about this right now. So then October rolled around and I was just in such a dark place. Um, and I remember thinking well, every third Friday of the month, the sex offenders get to go and have their lifetime probation lifted because they get to petition for that. And I was so bothered by how many third Fridays had gone on and how many perpetrators were walking free. And so I called my senator's office until they scheduled me. And I mean, I was blowing up their phone. I demanded that they, I mean, and, and not that sounds horrible, but like, I insist, you know, I, I need you to meet with me. Um, and at first they said, oh, we just did a victim's rights bill last session. And I said, this is not a thing. Like, I need you to meet with me. So we met in December with my local senator and then her lawyers. And she said, are you sure there's no such thing? And as protection that comes after probation and all her attorneys said, no, it doesn't exist. And so we drafted a law or a bill with the hopes that a victim would have um, indefinite protection if, and when a perpetrator's probation is terminated. And um, that was in January of 2021 when we, when we dropped that bill in session. Love it. And so you kind of, First of all, that's crazy to me um, <laughs> because I, I, so as, as a first responder, you know, I responding to it, just, I'm thinking about just the amount of victims I respond to in my head that had perpetrators and, and, you know, the fact that lifetime probation doesn't mean lifetime. It's not informed consent. 
If I did something like that as a medical provider, I'd be in jail for a long freaking time, even though I didn't do anything wrong, right? Like if I had told somebody this was a lifetime, whatever, um, how that doesn't apply to them makes no sense to me. And especially, you know, making major life decisions, like whether or not to go to court, whether or not they were going to sponsor a plea deal, whether or not they're going to, you know, go forward with the prosecution or, or whatever, um, based off of, you know, thinking that you, you had this lifetime that that's nuts. Um, so for obviously you, you were, we were talking about this a little bit off shore. You, you've had some pretty crazy opposition, um, to your bill and tell us about that. Uh, I mean, when you told me, I was so, like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, so, um, I will say that it went through, so it was SB 1412 was the bill in 2020 and, um, the initial bill, it was a new law and they had prepared me that, you know, it's a new law. We're going to have some hiccups. We could have some issues, but we can always go back and amend them. And I, what you have to understand I didn't know what a legislation was. I didn't know how many house members. I didn't understand what the Senate was. I had no idea how session works. I didn't know who my elected official. Literally, I had no example. I was zero politics before this. I was just a stay-at-home mom <laughs> of five children. You know, I just didn't I didn't care. Like I didn't even vote in primaries and now I'm like, you know, hardcore into everything, but I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I was doing it. Like come hell or high water, I was doing it. And so we drafted the bill and dropped it in and um, it went through the Senate. And I had to, the first time I testified was over stupid Zoom. And I was so nervous and I was watching the first few people and like at 90 seconds, they turn off people's screens. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to say what I have to say in 90 seconds? And I had never, I didn't know. I just had no idea. And it passed and passed and passed. And then I had to have an emergency surgery on February 24th. And my senator's like, hey, your bill goes before a cow committee of the whole in the morning. She's like, you've got to be here. And I'm like, with my surgeon, my phone, I'm like, can I go? Can I go? And he's like, dude, you're having surgery. I was like, but I have to go. And he's like, you do have to go. So you go and then you go home. So after a major surgery, I went and stood in the gallery because those people were going to know that I was serious. Like I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. And it passed through both the Arizona Senate and the House with complete bipartisan support. There was a few questions, which is fun. I don't care who you are, ask questions. 100% bipartisan support with the understanding that this bill would give victims the option to petition the court for true lifetime protection. And um, it passed and was signed into law um, on April 20th. And... Um, and then it's it doesn't go in Arizona session after session ends. You have 90 days after signing die. It's 90 days before it goes into effect. So in August, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was August. We went in with the governor and he signed my bill. It was, it was so cool. My kids got to be there and experience it. But while we're implementing the law with my team, I'm on the thing. And we have people from, you know, the county attorney's office, lawyers, um, even the, op, you know, like the bad guy side, defense attorneys. And I'm listening to these people talk and I'm like, no, I'm mortified at what's coming out of their mouth. They're like, well, you know, victims are going to have to go serve them and victims are going to have to pay. And it's only good for a year because it's under a traditional injunction. And I was like, no fucking way is this happening. This defeats the entire purpose of my law. I'm angry. I feel like I was lied to. I'm, this is not happening. Like we have to fix this. So one of my attorneys um, who prosecuted my case in 2006, she's actually running for Maricopa County attorney right now. Um, 
I was talking with her and I'm like, how can we make this so a victim never has to worry about it? Like it's done. And she, and she's like, well, but there is no such thing as like a real lifetime injunction. And I said, how do we do that? Because there's got to be a way. And she's like, well, it'd be pretty hard. And I said, is it impossible? And she's like, well, no, but it's like shooting for the stars. And I said, I need you to help me draft the language. So we had to leave it as was. It went into effect September 29th, but knowing we would have it um, amended before this September. So it w- even if someone's like approached the law in September 29th, they wouldn't have to go back to court because we're fixing it. So in the meantime, um, I'm drafting language with um, the legislation and the lawyers and my abuser petitions again. So to have his lifetime probation lifted again. So they don't hesitate to call me and say, oh, well, he's motioning again. He wants to have his lifetime probation lifted. They don't care that they're disrupting my life again, which there's, I bring that up for a reason. So they just, they're like, hi, this is so-and-so calling. Like, I'm not, like, it's nothing. Like, you're, and, and actually when they called me in November of 2021, my daughter was scheduled for major brain surgery the next day. Could you imagine if that was the first time I had ever been notified in 16 years, how detrimental that would have been to me. They don't give a fuck. They're more concerned about the bad guy and his rights and what's fair to him and his journey. They don't care about victims. And I was livid. So I called and I was like, this, we need to do a training. Like this has got, I was just up, I was up everybody's asses because I'm not okay with any of this. And, and some of these people have been in their positions for so long. They're like, well, it is what it is. No, it's not like it has to change. And we're seeing that a lot right now, I think, right? Like with so many things, well, we can't change it. That's just how it is. No, it's not. We can fix it and we're going to. So um, I, when I started drafting the amendments to Kaylee's law, which the original version of Kaylee's law was, like I said, provided the victim to petition the court for that protection. So the amendments now, I kept telling my senator, I said, we have to have for the defendant's natural life. So there's no loophole. There's no seven to 14 year bullshit. Serve them in court. That way they can't, you know, like for an injunction, they can take you back to court when it's certain. No, we're serving you in court. Give it to them when they're sentenced. So a victim can have that protection indefinitely. And then I said, I have a way of sometimes like stepping outside of, um, like looking at it from the opposite side. And I'm like, what, even if, so if we put this in into effect as a natural law or a, a natural life and a lifetime probation goes away, a judge might be more inclined to lift the defendant's probation terms, knowing that the victim still has lifelong protection. Sounds like a win-win to me. Why would a perpetrator ever need to contact their victim under any, there is no circumstance ever. I don't care how many years. You know what? You want to send an apology letter? You do that. You give it to your probation officer who can give it to the courts who can, there's a, there's a system for that. There's a reason. Um, there's no, they, they should never be able to contact their victim. They shouldn't even be given the opportunity. It's insane to me that we're even having this conversation. And so this session, we drafted the amendments to Kaylee's law. Um, and the big things to note about that are they're citing it as Kaylee's law. So it will officially be titled that um, here in Arizona. Um, and that they will be served in court um, when they are sentenced. And for victims who have already gone through the process, they just have to petition and the court will take care of it. And then 
that it's um, valid for a defendant's natural lifetime. And it took three drafts because they kept forgetting natural. And I was like, I'm not signing. I'm not okay with this. It doesn't say natural. And they're like, well, and I'm like, put the word natural in there or I'm not okay with it because we're missing that. That's huge right now. Mm-hmm. So um, we got it in. And then I went to testify in the Senate before Judiciary Committee. So before and, you get too, I'll say oh, before yeah. you get too far, before you get too far. So you talked about, you know, uh, the victim doesn't really have to do anything. Uh, no cost, no, no occurs, no lawyer fees. Is there any uh, legal fees or anything like that for the victims that when they come to that protection? No, not, not in this amendment. Everything is a hundred percent covered, which is how it should be. Like mm-hmm. it just, because they put it under a traditional injunction against harassment, it came with the traditional injunction against harassment rules, um, which is where, you know, they have to be served every, you have to file every year, those kinds of things. And I remember mm-hmm. my husband, when he found out, he was like, okay, so basically what I'm hearing is when the bad guy's probation ends, then a victim starts because now they have to yearly mark their calendar. Oh, got to file again, which defeated the whole purpose. So no, the new amendment is the courts take care of everything. It, we have in there no cost. It's all addressed. Um, we created a new chapter. And um, and that's what my one attorney had said. And I, she's not my representing attorney. She's an attorney that I work with. Um, she said, you have to create a new chapter because you're creating something that doesn't exist, which is what we've done. So it's a new chapter that is a true lifetime, indefinite, natural life. Um, I'm uh, trying to think of what it's called. Uh, Lifetime injunction, I think, is what the chapter is called. So it's within the IAH category. It's just a new chapter that they'll be referencing. Um, so uh, we made sure to put all that in there. It's very pro-victim, not pro-perpetrator like it was before. And it, a lot of it was just an oversight. And I remember feeling frustrated. But now that I'm working on this, I'm seeing how it happened. It was not intentional by any means. But we're gonna we were gonna fix it. Like I wasn't gonna not fix it. <laughs> so um, we redrafted the amendments, and that's sixteen fifty three for this session. Um, so when we went to the judiciary committee, did I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Like, no, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's awesome that you know because I you know from people that I've known in the past in the work Kaylee's law isn't a thing. It's like okay, well now I got to go get my lawyer and then we got to go draft all this stuff. And then we got to file the paperwork. And I mean, you don't necessarily need to get a lawyer, but they always have try and get a lawyer. Cause obviously this is something that could be life or death. And you wanted to make sure that all the paperwork's correct. It's going to go through. It's following the necessary steps. Somebody's going to be following up with this because I mean, for somebody who's a victim, it's not like this is your whole life and it shouldn't be your whole life that your legal paperwork is something that takes hours and hours and hours of work. It shouldn't be, Oh, well, I got to go do my nine to five and then come home and spend all night long filling out the paperwork so that I don't get harassed by a victim that yeah. the court should have handled in the first place. So I, first of all, I absolutely love that. And so, um, you know, dealing with, with, with people who've been victims before and, and knowing, okay, you get that phone call and you're like, great. Now I, now my work begins and, and putting that burden of on the work on the state and on the, on the perpetrator love that love the complete 180 of that because i have seen that specifically myself yeah and they um you know originally they said well a victim's gonna have to be opted in to receive all notification well that's bullshit i don't want to be notified every time he does something that's running my life i said it should be so easy because they wanted to use um, az point which is where you go for like restraining orders and things 
I said, that's fine. But it, it should be so easy as to have a Text tab. I don't care what it says. I don't care if it says Kaylee's Law, you know, life protection. I don't care what it says. They should be able to click the tab. And then they're like, well, how are we going to know what victim? How, like, how do we know? And I said, the perpetrator has a case number. Why can't a victim like even use the same one that they're filing it against? Why are you making this harder than it has to be? Have a one page, like informative sheet. It should be that easy. It should be convenient, painless, and just one and done for victims. Like it shouldn't be this big scavenger hunt and like a fucking climbing a mountain just to get this protection. That's not how it should be. And they're all, you know, so then I started working with, again, legislation and they're like, we're going to have them come in and find it. They couldn't even find it. They couldn't even find how to get protection under this law. That's a problem. Like I should be able to, if someone asks me on the street, Hey, how do I get protection under your law? You know what? Here's a QR code. Boom. Right there. Like that's how easy it should be. Um, And don't tell me, well, how are we supposed to know who goes what? Every perpetrator has a case number. And if that's what you have to use, use that. Like, it's not that hard. They're just, they make it so much harder than it has to be. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this session, um, some people got wind of the amendments and I don't know how, I don't know who's behind it. It's interesting to me though, because the amendments are the specific ones that I listed, but we went to testify in the judiciary committee in the Senate. Now, the night before, my husband and I had got on the RTS and looked at who signed in for and against. And I see this man sign up with, he was some criminal defense attorney. And I was like, hmm, who's this guy? So we look him up. Of course, he's a sex offender, you know, attorney. We were sitting there and I didn't, I don't ever go look at like who's signed in to speak because that would fuck with my head. Like I'm not, I'm there to say what I need to say and leave. And they call his name and I'm like, what's he doing here? Like, why is he here? So he's testifying in opposition. So he gets up there and he's like, you know, I'm very, I don't remember exactly what he said. I have it on video, but I'm very disturbed by the language. And, and I want the Senate or the committee to, you know, to take into consideration how hefty the term natural lifetime is like that's weighing over their head their entire life. And I'm like, yeah. And they don't need it to, they don't need to contact me. So that was his argument was the natural life for the natural life. Yeah. And that doesn't make sense. I would say that doesn't make sense to me because you're like, exactly what you were saying is the forethought in your brain was like, this will be easier for people to get off probation because they're like, oh, okay, well, there's still the victim still has lifetime protection. Who gives a shit at this point, right? Like, who yeah. cares? Don't don't contact the victim if they don't want to be contacted. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't. It's anybody, right? But again, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, I was just it's it's, it's 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 aggravating to me as somebody who's just. And I don't. Again, I don't care. Like, even if you're for the bad guy and you're fighting for them, and I know it's your job. Whatever. Please give me one reason, just one, why a perpetrator should ever be able to contact a victim. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't. I mean, there is no reason. Like I said, if for some reason they want to apologize, even though I think what like it, it means nothing, you know, great. But there's a there's a way to do that. You don't and, and I had told when I when I talked to um It's not like the avenue's not there, right? Like yeah, exactly, exactly what you're saying is it's not that the avenue's completely gone. If they want to make amends or whatever, they 
truly do find God, they are that one exception. They want to apologize. Yeah. There is a, a an avenue to do so. It's not like there's absolutely no avenue to do so. It's just protected. There, yes. And there is a clause in there that if someone wants to forego this protection, they have to file and forego it. They don't, if they, which, okay, if we're being honest, how many, I mean, I guess there could be victims, but there is a clause in there that allows that. Um, Wisconsin fought really hard because they were like, well, what if somebody doesn't want this? There's a clause. We're not, we're not. Yeah, they just allow them to opt out. Yep, exactly. Um, what what so, was the state going to come and arrest victims if they go meet with their perpetrator? Well, they're saying, what if this Wisconsin was saying, what if a perpetrator and a victim don't know that this law is in place? And they somehow the victim contacts the perpetrator and then they go away for 10 years. Well, then they need to do their fucking job and let them know their victim's rights. Exactly. <laughs> I don't, There's so many. Is there not, it's, it's is, is, is that the first thing that happens after it's like, okay, you're, you're a perpetrator. You're a sex offender, especially like if you're a sex offender, don't do X, Y, Z, like immediately after, right? Don't contact your victim. Da, 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 da. It, I don't feel like near school. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not. I know. A fi- it's a five minute conversation, maybe. It's you wouldn't believe the stuff that comes out of people's mouth, like how how dumb they are. Like sometimes I just really want to understand their thought process. Like that's what you're worried about. Like mm-hmm. that of all things. And if you're serving them at the time of sentencing under this law, they're going to know well and clear. Oh shit! Like. Even if my probation goes away, if I contact my victim, like I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just crazy. But the the one defense attorney, he had that was his thing. I want you to consider what natural life is and what you're doing to these these defendants. Okay, like thanks for your words. So I had gone up, um, and you know they're really strict on time. So I had to cut down what I said a little bit and. I had even cut out the last part of my testimony and just said, you know, I'm living with what was done to me for my natural lifetime. I didn't choose this. It was put upon me. Like I didn't ask for this and I still have to live with it. And it's obviously the Democrats that are fighting it now. So um, they, which is so funny to me because last year there was no opposition from any of these people, none with, and we presented it the same way that it was lifelong protection. So now why all of a sudden are you opposed to this law when last session you weren't and we're literally presenting it the same way because we put natural in there and it's like more serious? I don't know. Um, and for me, it wasn't a side thing until this last session. Then I was like, okay, you guys are making it very clear. Um, and I'll tell you about my other bill that I'm running because I got some other interesting opposition. But um, it passed in the Senate. Well, I mean, it, there wasn't any issues in the Senate. And then we go to the House and when we're walking over, my senator says to me, I got the strangest call last night. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, from the NRA. And I was like, the NRA? What, like what? Because we're only working on like victims' rights bills. So I'm like, what does the NRA want? Yeah, she what does the NRA want, want something to do with <laughs> victims' rights? Yeah. She said someone flagged 1653, which is Kaylee's law, in the system. And reported it. And I was like, huh? And she said, I called them and I, the, the representative that she works with. And she said, and I told them, you must have this confused. This is a victim's rights bill. 
So someone, you just have a misunderstanding. And she said, I never heard back. So maybe they, you know, understood. And then we're walking into the house and this man, it was like one of those things where we walked in the door and walked right back out. I didn't know who he was. He obviously didn't know who I was. And he said, can I talk to you for like 30 seconds? And Senator, my Senator said, yeah, of course. And he said, we have to oppose that bill. And she's like, why? It is a victim's rights bill. And he said, because you don't understand. If a sex offender goes through the restoration process and they're cleared and they get their probation lifted and their civil liberties restored, and then they're able to purchase a firearm, it could affect our sales. I, I was like, what? And I said, um, or, and she's like, what are the chance? Like, what is the percentage? And she's like, I don't remember his name, Dave, Dan, David, something like that. She said, this is strictly no contact. It has nothing to do with the rest of their probation. They can have everything else lifted. This is strictly a no contact order. And he said, I understand. But if a perpetrator, if a defendant has an IAH against them, they can't purchase a firearm. Well, a sex offender who's a felon can't purchase a firearm anyway. So why are you getting involved? Mm -hmm. And he said, so we have to step in. And I was like, you know what? All I'm hearing from you is that you're more concerned about giving a sex offender a firearm than you are protecting a victim. And he's like, no. And I said, well, listen, you tell whoever from the NRA, I'm Kaylee. I'm, I'm the person who spearheaded this law. I'm fighting for victims protection. If they have an issue with this, I will speak to them because all I'm hearing is that you're choosing a sex offender owning a gun over a victim having protection. You're more concerned about money than you are protecting victims of sexual assault. And he's like, no, 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 no. And he said, we'll talk later. So then we're walking in the committee and this woman comes out. I don't know who she is. And she's like, Senator Kerr, can I talk to you? She's like, I had to report you to the NRA. I had to report this bill. We had to find something. So this woman just took it upon herself to contact the NRA and like Arizona criminal defense, or I'm sorry, um, uh, gun defense. Like there was all these organizations that she had notified that got involved. Because in the 0. 0.0000 whatever percentage that a sex offender who's a felon has their probation lifted, their civil liberties restored, and the judge grants them the right to own a firearm, this law would prohibit them from doing so. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I, Isn't that crazy? So like, that's for me, it's like, I don't care. So, I, I mean, you can be Gandhi afterwards. Sorry, you made a decision. Especially if you're a violent offender. I mean, a sexual assault is a violent offense, right? And so, mm -hmm. even in the even in the event like one, I want this no, no contact order. So, I mean, why would you give him a gun? I don't know. I it, it doesn't make sense to me. No, I, I'm okay with it. And I think if you talk to most pro two A people, we're like, yeah, if you, that's yeah, you're fine with that. I'm fine with it. I just don't understand why they're, I mean, they're getting involved. It was a, it was a grasping for straws effort, you know? And I just, I, if of all people, I thought that would be opposing this. Like the NRA, you know, second amendment people were the last ones that I thought would say, Hey, uh, maybe we should think about a sex offender who could maybe get a gun. Like is maybe that, we should think about them over victims. Is that enough of the NRA base that that needs to be a problem? <laughs> like, that I, I can't imagine, I, and I, I guess it's the same thing with the LBGQ stuff, is this is enough of your base where you need to make this that much of a problem for everybody. Um, yeah. Considering that, you know, 
NRA is most supposed to be about gun confiscation, not criminals getting their guns back. I don't know. Yeah. It's crazy. So they had signed in against my bill on the RTS, which I mean, was very concerning for us. And, um, so we ended up putting an amendment or yeah, one amendment or a clause in there, which I'm fine with. I don't even care that if a victim passes away and a sex offender has their probation lifted and their civil liberties restored, then this IAH will no longer be in effect. So then get a gun. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And that, what are what the chances of that? I don't know, but yeah, we put it in there. So now um, everyone's on board and it's fine because there's a clause. So, and actually I didn't even know, but in Wisconsin, they had basically put the same clause in and I wasn't even aware of it. So it was added in later. Um, so it just has to do with everyone. Again, it goes back to, there is so much concern for the perpetrators and their rights and their everything. That's where the concern lies. And I just, I just can't understand why you know, having this, cause, cause someone had said, well, I don't like that. This is retroactive. What do you mean? You don't like that. It's a Democrat. I don't like that. It's retroactive. Why don't you like that? It's retroactive. I, so I don't deserve that protection. It's only people, well, you're going to go back and then that's not what they agreed to. Listen, I didn't agree to him motioning every other year to have his lifetime probation lifted, but you don't care that that affects me and disrupts my life, but you care that this is going to affect a sex offenders. That's the, I mean, they're so worried about the perpetrators. They're so worried about their rights and their feelings and how this is going to affect them and how they're victimized. It's insane. You wouldn't, you just wouldn't believe the stuff that comes out of people's mouth down at the Capitol in committee. Absolutely. So, you know, kind of r- wrapping things up, we're kind of running short on time. Um, obviously you had an amazing experience with the legislative process um, going from, never doing politics, never voting in primaries, never one. How important are those local offices, those judge, state senators, legislatives? And two, um, for somebody, you know, who wants to get involved in the political process, wants to make change. Obviously, you're a great story for somebody to point out that, you know, one person has made these huge changes uh, in the legal system and for victim advocacy. What advice would you give them for like if they wanted to start out and they wanted to do the same thing as well? Um, and basically if we want to learn more about Kaylee's law, where do we go to do so? So to more, to learn more about Kaylee's law, you can go to, um, our website because you still matter.org. Um, and also I share a lot on Instagram. So it's the Kaylee Kozak. That's where I share most of my stuff. Um, but as far as getting involved, you, you know, our everyday average people, you are a constituent. These people work for us, for the people. And I don't know where things got so lost, but it is their job to listen to you, to meet with you, to hear you. And I can't tell you how many people at my husband's work are like, how does your wife talk to all these people? And he's like, cause they work for us. I mean, send an email, go show up at the Capitol, sign in to testify in every state it's different, but you can absolutely get involved. And you have to remember that these people on all levels work for us. They, they don't let them forget that. I love the make politicians afraid again hats <laughs> because I mean, they, they, they work for us and it's their job to listen to us. So don't be afraid of them by their title. Their titles don't scare me. I don't care. Yeah. Cause you know what a state center is after he loses an election? Nobody. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, Kaylee, exactly. Kaylee, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being so informative, giving us so much information, so much to think about. Um, it was really entertaining, really fascinating. I'd love to have you again on some time. Um, if there's any way that we can help with more Kaylee's Law stuff, let me know. Um, but thank you so much thank, for joining us. Thank you.